Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, our Father, Abba, Father, on this Easter morning, as your children, we come to you again and say, give us Jesus. Because Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is all that we want and Jesus is all that we need to hear from. Oh, Father, through the power of the living Spirit, the living Jesus, give us Jesus as our prophet. So this morning, he can speak and be heard and felt and experienced among us. Give us ears to hear from our Savior. Give us minds to understand as he opens up your word, his word. Father, roll away the heart of stone and give us Jesus. Give us Jesus as our priest, as the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins, who was pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. And through his wounds, we are healed. Give us Jesus as our priest who lives now at your right side to intercede for us. The one who continues to to work for us, his children, calling our name to you, Father, as he lives to intercede for us. Give us Jesus as our priest, high priest. And give us Jesus as our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one that we need to bow our very lives to. The King who has defeated all of yours and our enemies. The King who has brought life, an abundant life, victorious to us through the power of the empty tomb. Give us Jesus as king of our lives, of this church, of our families, of this service. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. We all live with a saying that kind of helps put all things in perspective. There's a saying that we're told, a a way that we're supposed to navigate through life, a a saying that will give us uh, understanding and the meaning of life that we kind of cut our teeth on. It's something that answers a lot of our questions, a lot of our pain, and it's something that there's such good news this morning is going to crumble. And it's this. Have you ever heard this expression? All good things must... Say it again. All good things, what? Must come to an end. I mean, from the earliest days of our life, it's something that our parents have told us. It's something our teachers have reminded us. It's something maybe our bosses have told us. It's something that those people who love to pop bubbles would want to tell us. All good things must come to an end. Charles Whiting found that out in a hard way this year, this week. 
This week, Charles Whiting uh, had a great disappointment brought into his life. Charles Whiting lives in Westchester, New York. And in 2004, his wife, Catherine, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, uh, she, uh, her time on earth was going to be very uh, few days, weeks, maybe months. So they gathered the family together. They got the kids and the Whiting said, let's see the world. Let's travel the world in the time that we have together. And sure enough, within just a few months, she passed away in 2005. But Charles kept on his entry machine his wife Catherine's voice. And sometimes he would just call his own house to hear her. To hear her say, you've reached the Whitings. We're not available right now. Please leave a message. The phone company, Verizon, decided to upgrade their software. How many bad things start off with the phone company? I don't know. I used to work for them, so maybe still in my pores a little bit. Third generational phone company guy. But Verizon, they upgraded their system. They said that they notified Charles, but he didn't get the notice, didn't know. And last week, they erased her voice. It's gone. And he said, I felt like I lost her. I felt like I had her, but she was gone. And he learned the hard way that all good things must come to an end. Seemingly, it's true with all of our lives. Seemingly, each one of you has had that experience. I mean, life seems to smack us in the face all the time that all good things come to an end. The best marriages among us, those that we love, those that we look to and say, there's a picture of Christ and His church. But until death, do you do us part? Our greatest joys, our greatest vacations, our greatest moments, our greatest triumphs. And then the joy seems to fade away. Monday rolls around. Some bad news comes our way and we're reminded afresh that all good things must come to an end. Good news. Really, really, really good news. It's a lie. Really, really good news. We don't have to live that way. Really, really, really good news. We can leave here today knowing that Easter Sunday is an exclamation point by God to say that's bogus. Not true. All good things will not come to an end. We have victory. We celebrate victory today over our greatest, God's greatest enemy, death itself. The tomb was empty. All good things will not end. Life will not end. We will know Him and live with Him forever. There is such power this morning, the power of Easter that says, no, that's wrong. We're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at, first of all, is this. Because of the resurrection, because of the reality that Jesus lives, all good things do not have to end. And also, because of the power of the resurrection, for many of you here this morning, you look good, you got your Easter best on, but inside you're hurting. Inside, your life is, is, is not what it looks like on the outside. You're experiencing pain and sorrow. Maybe the reality of a loved one that's not beside you. Maybe the reality of a loved one who's really suffering. Maybe it's you. This morning, listen, listen. This morning, listen. This morning, we're reminded our greatest nightmare never wins. And we have hope. 
What we're going to do this morning is we look to God's Word. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the words will appear on the screen as well. This Easter Sunday, what we're going to do is we're looking at the implications of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to give us God's infallible Word. It's, it will never lead us astray. It's what we call inerrant. It's without error. And he's going to tell us the so what. The so what of the resurrection. What does this mean for you and me day to day? It's amazing. It changes our life. It gives us hope. That's why we're here. So let's read God's Word together, being mindful that this is God's Word, because He loves us. He would give us this Word. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. We're going to skip to verse 12, read 12 through 26, and then pick up 54 through 57. I'm going to stop a couple times as I read and give you a little bit of background. But again, lean into God's Word. Lean in, listen. It's amazing. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, I want to remind you of the gospel. And by the way, the gospel means good news. Paul is saying, I'm writing to you, church, to tell you and to remind you of some staggering good news that I preached to you, which you received and by faith, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Amazingly, the way Paul received it according to God's word is Paul had the most unusual encounter with Jesus. It was a face-to-face encounter after he was resurrected. It changed his whole life. And now Paul is saying, what I've received, I'm giving to you as first importance. Of all the things in life, this is number one. I mean, you're wondering what is God's will. You're wondering what the most important thing is. Paul is going to be crystal clear of first importance, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I love that, because you're going to hear twice, according to the Scriptures. Sometimes people want to portray Jesus as one who didn't know he would die. Or portray Jesus as one that maybe failed through his death. But we got to realize that the Father, before time began, knew he was going to rescue us through the death of his Son. And throughout the entire Scriptures, this story is unfolding. So this Easter event that we celebrate isn't something new. This is God's plan from the beginning. That he was, died for our sins according to Scripture. That he was buried. This is what happens to dead people. He was buried. He was truly dead. That he was raised on the third day. And here we go again. According to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, formal name for Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundreds of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some had fallen asleep. By the time Paul wrote this, about 30, 40 years had elapsed since Jesus' death. And here Paul, I mean, the audacity of what Paul's saying here, we can't miss. He's saying that there's been eyewitnesses, 500 eyewitnesses at one time. I mean, this event changes the world. It changes history. And Paul is saying, now some of them are still among you. Some have died, but go talk to them. 
you're wondering about the validity of a resurrected Savior, look at the audacity of Paul's words saying, go talk to the ones who saw, who knew. I saw his nail-pierced hands. I saw him. He was alive. You know, the, the most powerful government in the world at the time, the Roman government, would love to have put down a rumor that wasn't true. They would love to say, here's his body. Come on. Quit this charades, dead men walking around. Quit the charade. Look at his hands. Look at his feet. He's dead. Couldn't do it. There's good news. Eyewitnesses. Paul being one of them. Good news. The story's true. Uh, Then he appeared to James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Now that has nothing to do with his natural birth into the world. I don't know how that came about. He's talking about his being born again, abnormally born. He was a persecutor of the church that had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And that's why he calls himself abnormally born. Verse 12. Listen to the implications. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, listen to this, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Basically saying, it's not what some want to say, oh, if that's good for you, you believe in Christianity, if that makes your life happy. He's basically saying, if there's not an Easter Sunday, if there's no resurrection, I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting yours. For those of you who believe it's, it's useless, it's futile, it's of no value. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then listen, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It didn't work. Then those who have fallen asleep are lost. And in, in, in those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. More than just a voicemail message. They're gone. And if there's no resurrection, we're pitiful. We're pitiful. It says we are to be pitied more than, any, than all others. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes through a human being. For as in Adam, the first man, all died. So as in Christ, all will be made alive. But in this order, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Turn with me to 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But listen, listen, listen. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how we need to hear of your victory through your Son. 
Father, I pray for the one who is yet to ever experience this victory, that today they would understand the reality of what Jesus has done and what his resurrection means in their life. Father, give each one of us ears to hear. Speak through a broken sinner. God, give us minds to understand, hearts to embrace, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of the incredible good news. This is of first importance. And because it's of first importance, God, would you speak through a broken sinner. The things that are said that are true that contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like Jesus. The things that are said that are merely my opinion are wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We ask that you and you alone receive glory that is due to a risen Savior. And we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two things. The first one is this. Because of the resurrection, our greatest joy will never end. God has created you in His image. He loves you. He has created each one of you to be known and to be loved. To be known. I mean, everything about you to be known. All all of your thoughts, all of your deeds, the things you're trying to hide. God has created you to be known and to be loved. And because of the resurrection, because of what Christ has done for sinners like us, we have today the proclamation of the greatest joy that God knows the truth about us. He knows that we're broken and fallen. He knows everything about us, and yet, He still loves us. And yet, He considers us His family. He'll never drive us away. Because of the fact of Easter Sunday, God really did allow His Son to be punished for our sins. He really did bring Him back to life. And the implication for us is this. Our greatest joy of knowing the God of the universe, the Creator of all things, but knowing Him intimately as Abba Father is now ours. The joy of knowing God. The joy of being known. The joy, the most incredible joy of being loved. All of us long for it. All of us long for being loved and being known. And now, through this power of the resurrection, we know that we can be loved and known in Christ Jesus. But not only that, it's the joy of this. The knowing that all we do can be done in His name. God has created you with a purpose. God has created you to worship Him. God has created each one of you uh, to know and to love and to worship Him. He wants your life to count. Your life to have meaning and purpose. And because of today... Because of the reality of Christ in our lives, our lives count. We have victory. We have meaning. We have joy. And the greatest joy of knowing that my sins have been forgiven, that I have been set free, that God is mine and I am His, that I'm a part of His family, I'm a new creation in Christ, will never fade away. Because the tomb was empty. He's never changing His mind about us. He's never going to cast us away. We're His. And the joy of being loved by God. The joy of knowing a pierced Savior never ends. That joy never ends because of the reality of today. It's incredible. uh, The incredible joy. C.S. Lewis said this. It's a great quote. I want you to listen. Lean into this quote. It says, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, this is the big yellow thing in the sky out there, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I could see it, 
but because I see everything else because of it. Christianity is the exclamation point through this resurrection uh, Sunday that the sun, S-O-N, has risen. And not only can we experience that, but we can see all of life through that. Let me, let me tell you what that means. Paul was writing in the book of Philippians chapter 3, and he was looking at all of life. All those things that you and I hold as precious, all those things that maybe people look at and say these are of important things, education, status, power, fame. He was looking at all the things that other people say, this is abundant life. I mean, these are the things you hang on the wall. These are the things you show your friends uh, pictures of. These are the things you talk about at the water cooler. These are the things you brag about. These are the things that make you who you are. And Paul looked at all the stuff that he had. And by the way, he was a very smart man with a lot of stuff. And a lot of knowledge, he says, I look at all this stuff of life that life can provide, and I consider it rubbish compared to one thing, and that's knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Now listen, rubbish is not a strong enough word that Paul uses. Paul says this, I consider all the things of life that I want to hang on my wall and tell people about and, and brag about, I consider them dung. Dung. Thanks, Tap. I consider him dung compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, wait a second. You may say, now, what's up with this Paul guy? What's the matter with him? Is he a Jesus freak to the level that Jesus is all that is important? Well, yes, to a degree. But here's here's what Paul's saying. Here's what Lewis is saying. Listen, through Christ Jesus, all this makes sense. All this hangs upon him and him alone. If we take Jesus out of the equation, if we take a resurrected Savior out of the equation, this stuff can't give us life. This stuff can't give us meaning. This stuff can't give us joy. God never created a soul so small the whole world could fill it. He didn't. The stuff is dung compared to knowing Jesus. And now because we know Jesus, we can see that all of it has meaning. All can have hope. It's a good thing. Education, all the things we do, they're okay. But listen, only if Jesus Christ is the center of all those things. Only if he is the one who's bringing meaning and joy of all those things. Without him, nothing makes sense. I love what Jesus says. He said this. He goes, I've come, I've come to make all things new. I've come to make him the way God intended him to be. Our sin is wrecked at all. I mean, it's just, it's just marred our image. It, it's polluted our earth. It's It's brought on famine and disease and uh, all kinds of terrible things. And Jesus said, I've come in your flesh as son of man, son of God, to make all things new. And here's the really good news. I'm starting with you. I'm starting with you. I'm going to lay my life down, pick it back up again, pay the price for your sins so that you can be brand new. New creatures in God, your sin is going to be forgiven. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm going to make you new, make you part of my family. And then through you and through me and through the church, I'm going to make all things new. That's what God has done through this Resurrection Sunday. Not only that, we realize a few very important things. We realize that our faith isn't futile. Look back again at 1 Corinthians 15. 15, it says in in verses uh, um, 14 and 17. And if Christ has not been uh, been raised, our preaching is useless And so is your faith. It's useless. It's of no value. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Some people 
have called our town, this town, a Mickey Mouse town. Some people uh, have called our, our, our town a Mickey Mouse town, but one of uh, this town's theologians, one of this town's artists and singers, has this to say about faith. He, song, he sang a song. This theologian's name is Jiminy Cricket. He said this, When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart's desire will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star as dreamers do. Fate is kind. She brings to those who love the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. Like a bolt out of the blue, fate steps in and sees you through. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. What do you think? Is that not some of the stupidest stuff you've ever heard in your life? I mean, not only is it a stupid, irritating song. Are you kidding me? When you wish upon a star... When all you got to do is go out there and say, oh, this beautiful star, I'm going to be really sincere, I'm going to put my heart in it, and I'm going to wish for whatever. I mean, talk about futile. Talk about, no one here is that dumb, all right? I mean, we sing that little song, but what, what Paul is saying this, listen, if there isn't a resurrected Savior, it's like you're wishing on a star. It's stupid. It's futile. It's dead. No resurrection, there's no faith with power. We're just wishing. But there's such good news. There's a resurrection. And our faith isn't futile. I love the fact that he wants to say, listen, there were 500 witnesses at one time. 500. This is a fact. You're not wishing on a star. The tomb really is empty. Jesus really has been raised from the dead. We really have victory over death. Hallelujah. Our faith isn't futile. And then we see such incredible news in verse 17. Our sins won't haunt us. It says this, if your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In verse 3, it says, according to Scripture, that Christ died for our sins. This is very, very important. If Christ wasn't resurrected for our sins, it didn't work. We're still in them. God's still angry. We're still separated. Death still reigns. Hey, on the way out today, I'd like to give you all something. Um, just out of the generosity of my heart. I mean, God stirred my heart, and I just thought, you know what? On the way out the door, I'm going to give you all, each, every one of you, young, old, and in between, a check for a million dollars. Just right from me. <laughs> going to give you a million dollars. Walk out and say, man, you aren't going to believe this worship service, man. That pastor's wacky. He gave me a million bucks. Just don't try to cash it, all right? It ain't going to work. It's not there. There hasn't been a transfer of funds to your account. I can't do it. You see, there was a transfer that took place. Jesus came to pay the price for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God, who's holy, for the things that we've done that are unholy, to pay the price that we deserve. Did it work? Did it work? Did it work? Yes, because he removed the sacrifice. The funds have been transferred. Our sins have been paid. What skeletons are in your closet? What's in your life that's haunting you? 
What sins do you hope never raise their heads again? What, what are the things that have separated you from God? I got such good news today. They have no power. They have no power. Our sins have no more power over us. None. None of our sins can ever separate us from the loving God because God the Father looked on God the Son and poured His wrath and indignation out on Him so He could turn to us and embrace us and love us. He can never be angry at us again for our sins if we are in Christ Jesus and the Savior has been raised to life. Is that good news? That is incredible news of being set free. Our sins have no more power over us. We now have the ability to live a life and life abundantly as God the Father intended through Christ the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, I'm still a mess even this week. I still stumble and fall and I cry out to God. I cry out to Jesus. Jesus, I don't get it still. I'm still living like I'm a, uh, uh, not a son but one far away. And he just reminds me over and over again. It appears for you. Broken for you. Resurrected to bring life and life abundantly. Listen, there's such good news because of a resurrected Savior. Our sins can't haunt us any longer. Our hope isn't pitiful. He says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be more pitied than all men. Easter Sunday's a proclamation our greatest enemy has been defeated. What are you going through in life right now? What, what, what still really hurts? What hasn't been answered? What's still undone? What is still broken? Listen, Easter declares your hope won't end. It's not going to end. There's more to come. There's more good news. And then lastly, it says this in this point. Our loved ones in Christ will not be lost. I mean, how, how sad for Charles Whiting to lose his, voice, his wife's voicemail. But really, the tragedy is, is to be lost forever apart from Christ. The tragedy is, is our greatest nightmare will win. And today, through the resurrection, we know that our greatest nightmare never wins. There's one here in the congregation that preaches the gospel to me through her life, probably more than any of y'all, any others. The way she sings, the way she lives her life, because she knows the reality of a resurrected Savior. I've asked Vicki Taylor to come and share um, a bit of her testimony. Lean into this testimony and have hope in our resurrected Savior. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning. When the unthinkable occurs, when we are blindsided by an event that should never happen, we are confronted by a spiritual dilemma that is confusing and often faith-challenging. The Bible claims that God is good. He's loving, kind, and merciful. God hates evil. He is omnipotent. He exercises total sovereignty. So how could he allow tragedy to enter our lives? On May 27, 1999, At 6 p.m., my heart was broken. My world was shattered, and my ability to manage life flew into a thousand pieces, and there was no handbook to give me the rules for coping. I had been plunged into the icy waters of grief and confusion. I could not fix what had happened. 
On that evening, while my husband Don and I were away on a cruise to celebrate 20 years of marriage, our youngest son, three and a half years old, Jesse, slipped into the pool of his sitter and drowned. Don and I were broken. And our surviving children, Daniel and Sam, were thrown into a maelstrom of grief and confusion that would last for years. Returning home, we were faced with difficult tasks. There was a funeral and a memorial service to plan, a casket to buy, flowers to choose, and Jesse's body to view. On top of these brutal necessities, we needed to somehow try to comfort our sons, Dan and Sam, and to meet with our dear, dear friend who had been given care of Jesse. Those were painful days, and we often wondered how we would survive them. About two weeks after Jesse's burial, I visited the cemetery alone. I needed to talk with God, and Jesse's grave was the appointed place. I can remember standing at the foot of his grave, angry, so angry with God. My posture was militant, my arms were wrapped around me, and my jaw was tight. And I told the Lord that he had been able to revive Jesse at the accident scene. And I reminded him that he had been able to revive him when they worked on him in the hospital for such a long time. I told him he could have raised him from his casket as we mourned over his stillness. And I told him that he had the power to raise him from the dead right then. And I was not leaving until he did it. I had the faith, and he had the power, and I believed more than anything else that it could happen. Raise him, Lord, I cried. Give him back to me, and I will tell everyone what you have done. I continued to wait. My ears were filled with the sound of my blood rushing through my veins, and the world seemed to be very, very still. After a bit, I began to hear the noises of the earth around me, faraway traffic, an airplane high overhead, birds singing, branches creaking in the wind, wind chimes that someone had hung in the tree that overshadowed his grave, children laughing and playing from a neighborhood nearby. Still I waited. Then, as if a spell had broken... I sensed the Holy Spirit comforting me. I heard no audible voice, and yet these words rang in my spirit. Vicki, I will raise him, but not today. I knew in that moment that God would see us through this somehow, that he would indeed raise our darling, delightful son, I had but to wait for the resurrection and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did God fail me in allowing this terrible thing to happen? I hurt. I sorrow. I agonize over the loss that has come into our lives. I feel great grief and pain. 
And for many, many years, it seared my every waking moment. However, as I look to God, I must declare that there is that which is beyond my human understanding in his ways. What God failed to do was to keep me comfortable. He failed to do everything I thought he should do. He failed to change his sovereign purposes to please my desires. These failings, however, do not alter my devotion to a God whose wisdom is superior to mine. For eventually I will see that God's eternal purposes are incomparably good for me. I must not allow this event to result in any bitterness in me. Instead, I must recognize that this major heartache in my life should drive me to stronger trust in God. Life looks very different without the false sense of security of an indulgent, overprotective God, but it is more real, honest, and challenging to my faith. It offers greater opportunity to bear witness to a God of wisdom and superior grace. My response to this is to proclaim, He has not failed us. God does not fail. The provision of God is adequate for my pilgrimage and for yours. God does not fail to see, know, understand, care, love, and ultimately work all things in conformity with the purpose of his will. Ephesians 1.11 His love is constant, though sometimes unfelt by me. His presence is assured, though sometimes he seems far away. His plan is good, though sometimes I hurt. For this present time, I see dimly mere faint outlines of all God's purposes and plans. Yet I believe that his ways are better and his thoughts are higher than my own. In my time of trouble, my understanding is not crucial. It is my faith in the person and the sovereignty of God that is the great indispensable necessity. For those of us supported by God's spirit, there is divine power and grace in times of trouble. God supplies us with a sanctified, stubborn courage in the face of suffering. In the hour of crisis, I may be weak in the knees, but I must step forward. I may bow and weep in private and cry for deliverance, but then I must rise to take up the cross and move toward my God. My understanding of the Christian life has been radically altered. God is greater, yet I am smaller, and I am loved immeasurably. 
His mercy and blessing have very little to do with my expectations or my efforts to be a good Christian, and much to do with my willingness to look upon him as my father and live as a child of his family. As with all loving parents, his love for me is fierce. And as with all children, my love for him is complicated. Above all, he has strengthened my hope in the sure hope of the resurrection. He has taught me what it means to be utterly dependent upon him and has shown me that when his children ask for bread, he will not give them a stone. Though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we do not fear. For God is, on, for God is in the shadows And he is before us and behind us on the path. Thank you. Our greatest nightmare never wins. Jesus lives. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But listen, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus the Christ. This morning is a proclamation. Jesus lives. You live too. Victory in Christ. Your life has meaning. It has purpose. There's hope. Hope for tomorrow. Bring it on. There's hope in Christ Jesus. Just this week, I had a friend come to my study and say, what in the world is this? I said, it's my high school football. No longer holds air. Falling apart. Pitiful, isn't it? If this were my greatest memory, that was my greatest joy. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a pitiful life if all you had is looking back and saying, it's past me? Are you a follower of Jesus? I have some really good news for you. Your best day is still ahead. Your best day is still coming. There's a day coming, my brothers and sisters. We're going to see him face to face. There's a day coming. We can put our fingers in the nail, Prince. A day's coming. We're going to eat with him and see him and know that he truly has triumphed. Our best day is still ahead of us. There's such good news. Our worst day has no bite, no teeth. The day of death is going to be a day of passage when we enter into his presence, we have victory in Christ Jesus. Lewis said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not that I could see it, but that I see everything because of it. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Christianity, Easter is the proclamation that the sun has risen. And now I can see all things through him. And know that we have victory.
in Christ Jesus. Amen? Reason to celebrate? Let me encourage each one of us just to cry out to Jesus even now. Cry out to him wherever you are. Say, I want that victory. I want that victory. I've forgotten that victory. Maybe for some of you, it's crying out for the first time. Maybe for some of you, it's crying out in the midst of some severe pain. Maybe for some, it's just reminding God, I'm crying out to you saying hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the life that reigns in us because of Christ. And Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. God, thank you for Vicki. Thank you for her courage to share with us the nightmare of her life, for her faith that's unbending, for her to know that her Savior lives and he is good. Father, thank you that we know that Jesse lives because Christ lives. And oh, how we need to cry to Jesus. But we don't cry to one who can't hear because he's in a tomb. We cry to one who's victorious king at your right side. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.